Welcome to the podcast from Plow to Plate with founder and farmer Sam Lucy, who alongside his wife Brooke operate Bluebird Grain Farms in the Methow Valley in north central Washington state, growing, processing, and marketing organic grains. Hi, Sam. Don, nice to see you. Yeah. I think it's fair to say there's a movement raising gardens, going to farmer's markets. We like to know where our food comes from, how it's raised, grown, delivered, all of that. Most important in my mind, though, is taste. I want to know that I'm getting the full flavor, right? So when it comes to grains and milling, that's a whole nother layer of do-it-yourself but most of us, we don't get into growing our own grain. So for grains and flour, we look to growers well, like you guys, paying attention to those things that we would pay attention to, organic, regenerative agriculture, and ultimately, that's going to lead to good food on the plate. So we've got a lot of ground to cover here. You ready to plow? <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> Let's roll some soil. <laughs> All right. So what's going on? <laughs> wow. Yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover here. So... What we've been doing for 16 years now at Bluebird, as you mentioned, producing, processing, fresh-to-order grains, flowers, and dry products. The premise behind Bluebird was treating the landscape with respect. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to have been farming now for over 30 years, and it hasn't been hard for me to do it in a sustainable manner or regenerative manner in the sense that I've never used uh, chemicals. And I've been a certified organic grower now for over 20 years. So I haven't had to relearn, but I can tell you that every spring when I start farming, I feel like a real beginner. I forgot how much I used to know. <laughs> but the premise is to use a cropping system that sequesters carbon. That's one of the cornerstones of regenerative ag. We have irrigation up here in the meadow. We don't abuse that because one of the topics we'll be discussing is water. Um, we're getting a, away from tillage a little bit, but we still do a fair amount of tillage. Uh, we use it for taking out our cover crops and incorporating the cover crops back into the soil. We use it pre-plant for weed control, and uh, we do have one implement we use after the grain's up. We can do a little uh, harrowing and weed control. And then in the fall, we use heavier tillage to incorporate all our straw, turning it back into soil, nitrogen. So basically, the idea is to keep the soil balanced, improve the tilt. And when I say tilt, I mean the prosperity of the soil, really. The more uh, balanced the soil, the more mellow the soil is, the easier it holds water. You don't require as much water for your crops. It's already getting back to water, but we're going to save that. Yeah. And so that is the couple cornerstones to organic regenerative farming, which I'm going to use them interchangeably because a true organic system is regenerative. A lot of the folks that buy organic, I feel, are doing it primarily because they know there's no pesticides. Great reason to do it. But under uh, certification purposes— you can get away with maybe not farming in a regenerative fashion. But if you're a, a successful, good organic farmer, you're sequestering the carbon out of the air and making it available to the soil. And you do that through crop rotation, cover cropping, minimal tillage, and paying attention to the birds and the bees out there. And that was the premise of us starting Bluebird. Back then, there wasn't near the market for what we're doing. 
particularly with the uh, the emmer and the einkorn, we we were definitely one of the first growers in the country to bring that back as food. Emmer was originally brought to this country as a forage crop, but nobody had grown it for food. Emmer and einkorn are their history goes back ten thousand years, and einkorn is wild and. Most cases you'll read that the emmer was the first purposely sown crop, but we're talking 10,000 years ago. I'm not sure that the history would make it accurately to today. It might be false news. Um, they say emmer is the first domesticated crop, and I'm assuming that means purposely sown. You know, it's been around 10,000 years, yeah. so it is an old food. We needed a market for this, okay. and we needed to clean it, process it, package it to get that market. So if you pay attention to the soil and make the soil balanced, the food is balanced. And back to your wanting to eat something that's full of flavor, yeah. that you feel is healthy, it starts in the soil. Well, I love the word regenerative. It carries a nice picture of an action. And I'm super interested in you know all the mechanics of farming, all the activity that goes into uh, bluebird grains, dealing with those whims of nature and the, all the challenging things that come along with growing anything, I guess. But maybe the place to uh, start is this regenerative ethics, the organic ethics that you mentioned. What does that entail? I'm, I have a hunch here that it could be rather expansive. It's expansive, yeah. It is and it isn't. It's mostly farming the soil without farming away the soil. Hmm. Most of the topsoil in this country has been farmed away. And farming is a generally is a very invasive activity. It's easier to take than it is to put back, particularly growing annuals, grains or annuals. Paying attention to putting back as much as you take or more is paramount. And that leads to the food and the people caring about what they're eating, as mm -hmm. you do. Mm -hmm. And I feel that regenerative agriculture pertains to the soil, but it also should be regenerating the community around food. And I feel that community starts at home, at the table. And one thing this pandemic, one of maybe the only positives is that we were sitting around the table a lot more <laughs> and cooking again yeah, and breaking bread, so to speak, and forming a social community around food, which goes back to the soil. So it's a little more regenerative than just making sure the earthworms are happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the wageless workers, yeah, the way. what I call uh, earthworms and all the microbial activity, yeah. um, comes to your table. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the COVID lockdown business, and I, I learned something the other day. I looked up the word meme. Sourdough started uh, being mentioned in all kinds of social media. I even saw it in ads, you know, like, how's your sourdough recipe going? And things like that. And so I looked up what a meme was. I thought it was maybe just something, you know, Facebooky or new mm -mm. tech. No, it actually is an element of culture passed from one individual to another, especially by imitation. Mm. And I think maybe it speaks a little bit to what's going on with how food could be very important. I mean, we do it at least three times a day. Mm. We come together as a family to do it. We come together well, we used to anyway, in potlucks as whole groups and communities and so on. There's a lot of potential here for keeping us together. Yeah, and in this fast-paced world, at a fanatic pace, 
whether getting kids to school, getting to work, et cetera, et cetera. Food became, and, and I hate to say it, but it was this way at my household growing up with, with seven siblings. We sat at the table every evening as a family. That was important, but it was more of a chore than a celebration. <laughs> it was a chore. And food really should not be a chore. It should be more of a celebration at least once a day. And that's what I mean about community starting at the table in the home and going out from there. And if you can picture feelers going out around the soil and bringing it back and mm-hmm. kind of a, almost like a tide in and out, going in and out and hearing the waves, the planet waves, you have to listen to the earth. You can't drive around in a truck and look at your fields. You have to walk in your fields. And I know some big regenerative farm, you know, organic farmers that farm a lot of ground. They, they get out and walk in their fields. Mm-hmm. They still walk in their fields, even if it's 5,000 acres. Mm-hmm. Put shovel in the soil can tell you so much. Yeah. You know, if you're jumping up and down on the shovel, you got problems. <laughs> and yeah. that's the part I love about the farming is it'll tell you if you've been naughty or nice mm-hmm. in simple ways like that. You got compaction. Well, you need to put in a crop that's going to root down. You can do it with steel, uh, which is done in conventional a lot compaction is the biggest limiting factor of uh, food production worldwide. Compaction. Compaction. But that's a way of farming out the land too, right? That's a way of farming out the land or basically making it unfarmable. And it's done in a lot of different ways. Heavy machinery, too much water, back to water, Mm -hmm. um, chemicals. So this kind of leads into no-till agriculture. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly there's a lot of no-till farmers that are kind of cashing in on the regenerative term. It's interesting because conventional no-till agriculture generally is not done with a a very big crop rotation and almost always is heavily reliant on herbicides and chemical fertilizers. It's not an organic way of doing things, and if you add up the fossil fuel, which, you know, another cornerstone— or, or one of the premises behind regenerative ag is to limit your fossil fuel yeah. use. Big tractors out pulling huge no-till drills may be using less fuel in one pass than, say, three or four passes of cultivation. But all the chemicals and herbicides that are they're putting down is based on fossil fuels. Yeah. And, and many get carbon credits for doing this on top of the other subsidies. Organic no-till whole different deal you have to be reliant on cover cropping crop rotations huge Mm -hmm. to keep the weed balance thrown off Mm -hmm. you can't just go spray glyphosate over everything and take care of it one of my growing partners is a big minimal till operation organic regenerative has been for a long time five thousand acres of crops he grows with no supplemental irrigation Mm -hmm. where his crops really shine are on the bad years the drought years Oh, interesting. But it takes a long time. And that sort of brings us into the resiliency of organic ag and the resiliency of your crops, the resiliency of the farmers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not a short-term deal. Uh, I think I've said this to you before in some conversations. You know, it's a miracle to me every year that we make a crop of anything. But somehow nature, not always, but nature is... It's very forgiving, very forgiving, Mm -hmm. really, for the way we act most of the time. 
it becomes a miracle to me more and more every year because we're we're doing this crop that we want and nature's allowing us to do it yeah yeah (laughs) when you mentioned resiliency being sort of built into the crop over the years by doing it right it makes me think a little bit of this reference back to community how a resilient community their food sources would be Mm. close to them i remember when i first moved here I met a lot of people who had been here from the Depression onward, and they told me that they knew there was a depression going on because they would read the newspaper, but it didn't impact them because this valley had always been kind of off by itself and had been just sort of naturally self-sufficient. There was a resiliency just built into them because this is how they did life. And I'm thinking maybe that's the wisdom of what we're talking about to a degree as well is it's close we're caring about the soil you need some grain salmon brook are growing it up there at bluebird grains it's here local which i think is a a fabulous resource yeah there hasn't been a flour mill in the valley for a hundred years and and that was not uncommon nationwide mm-hmm. right the old water wheels there's still water wheels that drove the stone mills back in the east and but it was in every community yeah there's demographics and all sorts of statistics about how many flour mills there were now there's they're coming back since bluebird started we've been asked to uh, attend and speak at different things around the northwest and recently within the last year year and a half we were at some deal i forget and brooke and i both looked at each other and said this is amazing how many small mills are up and going now in just the time that we started bluebird you know you could look at it from a business standpoint oh boy there's there's more competition i we knew it was coming but it was empowering because that is back to your point of being um community yeah well apparently those other communities need it as well there are a lot bigger communities than this one. <laughs> yeah. You would have to assume they're not doing it because it's a great business idea. It's because there's a need. I think it's a little bit of a consumer education that's going on out there. The fact that all those mills were able to recede into, I don't know, a handful across the country mm. of great big ones. They relied on highway systems and trucking and, oh, yeah. and you know big marketing into grocery stores. People want something a little bit different now. And there's a different kind of market. And it happens to be kind of a mirror image of an older market that used to be. Yeah, and the thing you lose the most through consolidation of just about everything mm-hmm. we might be able to agree on is quality control. Yeah. Quality control and in some senses pricing. And, you know, organic regenerative food is so much more expensive than, quote, regular food. Mm-hmm. Well, if you cut out all the subsidies... Organic regenerative is much more comprehensively reflects the true price of food. And that's something that's becoming more common nomenclature, if you will, to the consumer. And the consumer is going to decide in the end whether they want no-till that might be producing whatever or they want organic regenerative no-till. That's up to the consumer. Tasty, that's what I want. Yeah, and as you probably know, none of these cereal grains in the last 60, 80 years have been bred with nutrition in mind. They've been bred, but something else in mind. Well, most commodities, all commodities are based on volume primarily. I mean, there's certain standards that have to be met, but there again is another Mm -hmm. uh, topic. 
Um, Again, now we've we've put a pin in water, yeah, we've, <laughs> we, and we we put. I want to put a pin in subsidies because that's a, a subject I don't understand much. But one one of these podcasts, maybe you can mm. ilu- illuminate me a little bit. Mm. Yeah, well, that's certainly a huge factor on the playing field mm-hmm. of agriculture. I'll leave well, it at that. Well, I've said for a long time, I don't care what it costs. If it's better, if it tastes better, if it's more like what I'd be doing in my home garden, which is raising it right up to full-blown maturity, harvesting it, that's what I want. I'll pay for that. That's just the cost of doing that business. I'm not interested in some eh, not-so-tasty product. I want, I want the real thing. The taste is really important, and we still are spending less than 10% of our income on food in this country, which is far different than, than a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. If we really were to go down this path further and get more and more of agriculture turned over to these healthy means of treating the earth, the cost of food would come down because there wouldn't be the need for the inputs. There wouldn't be the need for all the equipment that's used. I've been told by some conventional growers that organic's great, but you can't feed the world that way. And yet a lot of us organic regenerative growers look at it as it's the only way we can feed the world because we're trying to eliminate compaction. We're trying to eliminate the need for all the extra inputs, the water, all this. If We're trying to get Mm -hmm. the soil back as close to nature as we can, and yet there's that weird twist where... Okay, Mother Nature, we love you, we're studying you, and yet we want to grow this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, she's Mother Nature is pretty flexible. She lets you get away with it a lot of the times. It was brought to light this year, front and center, you know. The supply chain was tested in, you know, everything. I mean, mm-hmm. some people were more concerned about toilet paper than food, which is its own irony. But the thing is, all these mills that have just come on in the last five years even, it was a boon for them. We're very fortunate. We were essential. And I don't say that in a crass way. It was interesting. No one could have planned this. We had no idea what to expect. And certainly the need for our goods uh, spiked because you couldn't order a bag of flour from a big mill. Apparently, all over the country, there were store shelves that had no flour. Our supply system failed. That takes a little digging into and looking, well, why did this happen? My guess is it has something to do with consolidation. (laughs) Yeah. And therefore, less community-oriented. And so this sort of brings us back into that circle of regeneration. Soil, food, people, you know, back to that ebb and flow. Maybe it's not that weird. (laughs) So that has been a nice little circle for a start here on Plow to Plate. We've got lots more pins and subjects we want to cover. Yeah, this sets the groundwork for um, what I'm hoping will be uh, an informative series here that I'm looking real forward to. Bluebird Grain Farms, your source for the finest 100% certified organic ancient grains, fresh milled flour, and whole grain handcrafted blends. Bluebird's products are sown, harvested, and sun-cured with care and milled to order on the farm here in the Meadow Valley in northern Washington so that you can enjoy the most delicious plow-to-package grain that money can buy. Check out the website, w's.bluebirdgrainfarm.com. 
www.farmingpractices.com where you can learn more about their farming practices and shop on their online retail store for ancient grain products, local honey, sourdough starters, monthly grain CSA subscriptions, gift boxes, and more. That's bluebirdgrainfarm.com.